When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Poetry Questions TPQ20, where we sit down with your favorite authors to talk about passions, process, pitfalls, and poetry. My name is Chris Margolin. Let's expand the conversation. Uh, we always like to start things off by saying, you know, we know who you are, but our audience might be new to your work. Uh, if you were to give kind of the bio that's not on the back of the book, the one that your publicist doesn't have, uh, who would you say you are? I am a son of James Baldwin, grandson of Bernard Clemens, who was a carpenter. And I'd like to think that I'm a poet because my grandfather was a carpenter and poetry is another way of using your hands. I am an avid believer that Frank Ocean's Blonde album is one of the greatest albums of all time. I believe in the freedom of uh, freedom and liberation of all oppressed people everywhere. And um, I'm a father of, of two beautiful girls and, and a husband to Kiana. Yeah, that's none of that stuff usually shows up. So I think I'll go, I'll go with that. I love that. I want to start out with with grandfather as a carpenter, like that idea of poetry as something else you use your hands for. Mm -hmm. ah, I love that because that's not that's not something I hear very often. That idea of poetry being a craft with your hands. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, I mean, you know, so I, there's a, a story actually growing up. My grandfather, I spent a lot of time with him, you know, when he was a lot older, and um, but I was still pretty young. Like I was like. I don't know, 10, 11 years old. And I was the only, you know, boy growing up in, in my family. I had four older sisters, much older than me. And so um, I never met my father and I don't even know his name. And so my only kind of like, you know, contact with, with the male was, was through my grandfather. And so I spent a lot of time with him. And because he was a carpenter, I would always try to ask him like, okay, grandpa, how can I, how can I build a go-kart? And my big thing was like, I really wanted to build this go-kart. I really want to build this go-kart. And um, he was really busy, like quite often with just projects and stuff. And so one summer he was like, all right, here's what you do. He said, you see that shopping cart over there? He said, you roll, roll it on over here. And he said, go give me that wrench. He said, take off all four wheels and then go get that long two by four. It was like a 10 foot two by four. He said, okay, here's what we are gonna do. We're gonna chop this two by four into three pieces and it's gonna form the axle and like the basis of the go-kart. We're gonna nail those shopping cart wheels. We're gonna get this milk crate and put it on these two by fours. And you're gonna uh, attach two shoestrings to the front axle to kind of steer. And he was like, you're gonna do it though, right? And so he gave me the blueprint, but I had to do it. And so that experience um, as a kid, I like to, to think that that kind of provided the scaffold for what I like to think that poetry is, right? Um, we're inspired by a thought, an image, something we see, something we witness, something we go through. And then we have to turn that image, that thought, that story into something that translate, 
translates into a, to a piece of writing, right? And you chop the sentence, right? You break the line, you attach two strings to, I don't know, to, to mess with the, the rhythm, with the sound, right? And um, so I, I credit my grandfather for, for me, you know, becoming a poet, becoming somebody that's fascinated with, with craftsmanship and being able to take a thing and create something from it, right? Such a beautiful, beautiful story. And yeah, like that's, I mean, God, there's a craft essay in that. There's, yeah, a, yeah, yeah. there's a book in that. That's a truly like, that's, that's beautiful. It's, it's interesting because I, like I grew up with my grandma as a sculptor. Mm -hmm. And so some of my like earliest memories are her like really showing me how to hold the chisel and where to hammer certain things. And yeah. I think, you know, I always like to credit that for some of that early artistic, like yeah. those early artistic access points. Yeah. Because yeah. you're doing two things there, though. You've got this beauty in the story of how, you know, you're learning to do these things mm -hmm. through these words. Mm -hmm. And it's almost it's kind of like saying, hey, there's a creativity and a beauty in technical language as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and there's a skill, right? Like yeah. that comes with being a carpenter mm -hmm. that again translates really well into the work of of crafting a good poem. Like they're they're both like highly, you know, nuanced and granular like things to do. Right. And um, yeah, using my hands, you know, is is what I'm passionate about. In the summer, it's funny. Um, during the school year, you know, because I'm a professor and I teach writing, so it's it's really heady space that I'm in from August through through May. Yeah. So every summer I actually take on some sort of project in which I use my hand, like literally physically use my hands. Oh. And so like a couple summers ago, uh, I built a deck <laughs> because, <laughs> just because I needed something to build. And then like I built, you know, the next summer I was like, all right, cool. I'm gonna build like an awning to go over the deck. And again, um, I consider it a part of, of my process, right? Like the creative process. Um, that actually will feed into a poem, right? Like all of the skills that I'm learning through through carpentry work, through building things, um, I like to think translate really well into the process of crafting, you know, a poem. Absolutely. God, that's, a, yeah. that's beautiful. I got to ask about Frank Ocean and Blonde. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so why is Frank Ocean's Blonde one of the best albums of the last 10 years? Yeah, I mean, I, look, I would say all time, but but we'll we'll that's for another time. <laughs> um, we can start small. Let's, let's we'll start let's small. Let's yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll say decade. Um, many reasons, right? So we can talk like you know typical like music stuff, right? Like right. sonically, vocally, um, narrative wise, like all of that is there. But then what Frank Ocean does like extremely well. Um, and it has to do with craftsmanship is he has the ability to kind of like modulate um, the narrative according to like the tone of the actual song. Mm. So um, there's many parts of the album in which he's like an adolescent and the, the pitch of his voice, the way that the actual like music and production like occurs in the song um, relates to that time period in his life. And so I just think like holistically, it's a complete album from start to finish. And again, not just in terms of the songs, like right. the, the, the actual track list, but, but through like the granular small pieces, the small decisions he has to, to modulate his voice on Nikes, right? To kind of signify this adolescent kind of in innocence, right? And like what it means um, to like feel and think as someone that's young, right? Mm. And you can experience that 
auction. And so, I mean, that's that's one reason, that's one of the reasons, right? But again, like there's such an arc there and I included poems. Uh, so in my latest collection of, of uh, poems, Mausoleum of Flowers, which is really heavy, like it, it's, you know, largely about death and demise, but having agency over that. Um, but I included this suite of Frank Ocean poems um, that respond to some of the songs on Blonde. And I decided to do so because like death, um, number one is very heavy. So like to think about like responding to poems or being in conversation with poems that are about death with like this kind of modulated life as Frank Ocean illustrates in Blonde, I thought was a cool way to kind of break up the monotony of like such a heavy topic. And so I think Frank Ocean's artistry just in general deserves to be celebrated, even though folks are like pissed that he hasn't dropped an album. And I don't know how long I'm like, oh, listen, art isn't like we're, we live in capitalism, of course. So like if, folks expect like you to. Jay Electronic yeah. can get away with like, you know, one album every what, 20 years. Yeah, right. We can, we can wait like six or seven for right. a Frank Ocean album. And, and and you get you get something good, yeah. right? Like you don't just get like anything. You get blonde, right? You get Channel Orange. You get Nostalgia Ultra. So it's like these things are well crafted, and and I think um my my admiration of it has to do with that, just the craft craftsmanship yeah. of the album. Well, and yeah. I think one thing you kind of keep coming back to is that idea of kind of storytelling. Yeah, like, you know how how important is it? You think you know in today's world, I think versus some of the poetry of the past. How important is it for a chapbook or a collection to to have a story in it? You know, that's a good question. And it's something I've actually been like thinking about a lot lately. It's um, tricky because you got a lot of singleton, you know, people publish a lot of singleton poems. Yeah. And then, you know, what do you do with a chapbook and a collection? What, what do you think? Yeah, it's interesting because on one hand, you're like, um, a collection of poems is just that, right? Like it's a collection of individual, individual poems. Yeah. But on the other hand, um, oftentimes our, our chat books, even our full lengths, um, have a lot to do with a similar theme, right? Our, our obsessions is what a lot of folks call it. And so um, my work tends to like usually gravitate towards like some sort of centralized theme, but it happens organically. Like I don't aim to like write an arc, write a narrative through the poems, but because like whatever's on my mind, whatever has been pressing comes out in the form of these, this collection of poems, that's what happens. And so I think similarly, you know, with, with a musician or with any art form, like you're gonna be kind of drawn to something. And naturally, um, here's an example, like Hanif, and this is this is actually good, good question. So Hanif Abdurraki um, and Ocean Vong recently were talking about like a similar thing and how, um, you know, you have to give yourself grace when it comes to writing about uh, the same topic like more than once. And the reason is because, you you know, folks think it's frowned upon and you shouldn't do it. But really, when you're thinking about different angles, different ways, different approaches to the same subject, that's where the creativity and like the, the you know, the magic happens. It's when you're able to take, you know, one singular thing and figure out like hundreds of ways um, of writing a poem about it. And so, um, I don't know, this is a circumvented way of answering your question, but I think it depends on like, you know, the particular project, you know? Yeah. 
No, I think that's a, I think that's a good way to talk about it. Like too, the you know the it, it is an interesting question. And I I saw I saw something about that conversation and that idea of you know what happens as you kind of expand. Mm-hmm. But that same theme is still part of your life and still part of your still part of your thought process. Yeah, like it's I think I think the question then becomes is is the voice the same? Mm-hmm. Like and and what voice are you writing from? Um, but yeah, I think perspective matters. You know, intrinsically, it has to matter. Yeah, uh, and it creates you know, your, your I, ears create different perspectives. Well, I mean that's true too. But I'd even argue like you can write from the same voice about the same thing, but it'd be a different poem. You know, right. and I think that's where like the growth comes in, right? Like how can you push yourself to see this plant or to see this I don't know this injustice mm-hmm. as as more than the first thing that you that you notice. Right. right. Like, how can you you push yourself to see more than what you see? Mm. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, the so one of the one of the things I always like to ask ask authors is, you know, so you've got this, you know, you've got Mausoleum of Flowers. Mm. When is first poem versus final edit? Like, what's the how what's the timeline for you for that? Oh, geez. And how many I, final how many final drafts did you submit? Wow. Um, so it's, it's, it's been different for like, so I have two books. I have Divine, 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 which is my first collection, full length collection. And then there's Mausoleum of Flowers, um, which came out a year later. I promise like it wasn't planned. Um, but, uh, so Divine, Divine, Divine actually happened over like many years. It was my MFA creative thesis actually. And so some of the poems in the book are like, were many years old by the time it was published, but there were also poems that were written like while I was in my MFA program. Um, and again, going back to obsessions, it just happened that the, the, the poems that I had written, you know, many years ago were still like within the same realm of the poems I wrote while I was in the MFA program. And they all have to do with like language and divinity and like the idea of black, you know, resilience and all that, 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 that whole thing. Um, and so that, that book, the process for that was a lot different than the second one. So the second book, it was written mostly in like, like, the summer of 2020 when okay. yep, COVID had like just hit, you know, took chokehold of, of the world. And um, I was left to my own devices with my bookshelf. And <laughs> you know what happens when you, when you read quite a bit, yes. you know? And, and so I spent like, you know, two months literally kind of cooped up reading and writing. Yeah. And um, the thing that came to mind mostly was the idea of death. Um, but thinking about death, not from like a place of like suffering or a place of, of um, I don't know, like, like a sad thing, but rather like a place of agency and a place of fervorance. Like what does death look like um, from the other side, right? And not in like this, this pitfall of despair. And, um, and so the, the drafts for that looked radically different than Divine, Divine, Divine. In fact, um, that was the quickest I had written like any poems ever. Like my process is often very slow and like tumultuous, but like for that book, it came out really fast. And so I got the homie, you know, one of the good friends who I met while I was in grad school, Quentin Collins. Um, we were in conversation about the poem. So like I was bouncing ideas off of off of him, right? Getting not a, really not a bad person to bounce ideas off. Yeah, word, exactly. <laughs> So, so anyways, yeah, so the, the, the final drafts for that actually came a lot faster than like Divine, Divine, Divine. 
in which the poems were like workshopped heavily through the MFA, you know, so two very different processes, right? And I think both books, you know, are what they are because of the differences in those processes. Um, Yeah. Is MFAU different than non-MFAU? And do you feel like you had to write a certain way and style when for divine, 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 is that as you went through that, did you feel more freed up? you know, kind of like getting out of your record contract and going independent. Do you feel like you have a little bit more freedom on, yeah, on yeah. mausoleums than you did on yeah, Divine, yeah. Divine Yeah, yeah, yeah. So before I went to my MFA program, like my, my you know, my craft, my teacher was like, was music, was was a tribe called Quest Alternative Rhyme, was, um, I don't know, I'm from Oakland. So like the, the Bay Area lexicon and lingo was 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 really like, how I learned musicality and poems. So going to, to my MFA program um, helped me learn like another approach, another set of tools um, and another way of thinking about like the page. Um, and I like to think of all of it as like really just tools that I can add to my toolbox. Right. Um, and then I'll, I'll share that the biggest thing that I got from, from the MFA program was meeting people. And in particular, like getting folks like Quentin, right? Like I developed a lifelong, I think, friendship um, and like writer partnership in, in folks like Quentin. And so um, it was two different perspectives in terms of like approaching craft prior to the MFA versus like after graduating from the MFA. Within the MFA, as you know, like there's like you know, there's a, a kind of construction around, you know, what you're supposed to do, um, how to operate and all of that. And so I came into it thinking like I have to fit into, you know, some sort of box. But by the end of, of, of it and graduating, in fact, one of my mentors, Nicole Therese Dutton, was like, at one point, she was like, yo, think about writing or creating a hybrid beast of a language. And so Divine okay. Divine Divine was the first of all men, I mean, to create like an entire like language right and it to be a hybrid beast of a language right to to kind of like break the form break the norms break like what we think about language what it can and should be and and to kind of figure out like what what you know possibilities there are and so i've i've taken that and 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 i think in mausoleum of flowers there there is like a, a a hybrid kind of like approach to language in which um, I admire being able to, you know, the freedom being able to like tap into different lexicons, tap into different language banks and create a new language. That's what poetry is, right? So yeah, I think it's, you know, different phases of my life have have given me different pieces to provide in Divine, Divine, Divine and through Mausoleum of Flowers. Nice, all right. So who are the uh, contemporary poets for you then? Who are who sound the way sonically? Yeah, you know who who sounds good on your ears. I mean, who's the who are those? Well, again, Quentin. Quentin has a way with 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 sonics for sure. There's such a music in his in his poems, like both books, yeah. right? Playing tickets for stolen people. The music in that joint is is ridiculous. But then also like folks like Darius Simpson is is phenomenal. So excited for the it's, new book. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yo, yo, <laughs> Darius. So Darius is, is the homie, and I'm excited for the book as well. Ocean Vong, I, you know, there's a there's a, a really somber and quiet like music to his, to, to to Ocean Ocean's work. Hanif Abdurraki inspired heavily inspires my work, right? Like, and not just music, but just like the breaking like form. You know, thinking about like again talking about possibility, just thinking about like the possibilities there are in terms of just writing a piece of 
of, of poetry and how it doesn't have to, again, take any certain or particular form and how there could be such a, you know, a, a creative approach to the page, right? There's a bunch of folks, man. I think, <laughs> I think that's the thing. I think people are more yeah. willing right now to have fun with the page. Yeah. Like, I feel like these last, and I've, I've said this on a few of these over this last year, but like, I feel like we are really living in a, kind of some sort of poetry renaissance a little bit where people are finding new forms and sticking with new forms. And that's yep. the thing, like, I think that's kind of what makes the difference is that not only are people having fun with new things, but mm -hmm. those new things are sticking, yep. you know, pantoums are sticking around yep. and like, you, yep. you know, like golden shovels are sticking around. Like you have yep. all these new cool concepts that are coming up from, from like just people who are trying to have fun. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's 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 like necessary. Like it's necessary for the art form, for the genre, yeah. right? That's the only way forward is well, to is to you know create those new hybrid beasts right. of, of of poems. Well, right? It's reminding people that they, they they don't have to be locked in a box of poetry. Mm -hmm. Like I mean, I, I've taught high school, middle school for 20 years, and like I yeah. know what I know what you know some teachers do to students yeah. and you know how easy it is to ruin a student for poetry yep. and it's you know i think we're living in a good era too where the poetry i can bring into the classroom is life-changing yep no i i feel that 100 because because once they're done with high school or middle school and then i get them they're like, <laughs> <laughs> they're like yo so you mean like this this poem like you know poetry can be this like really and i'm like yeah, like, <laughs> and then they're mind blown that poetry yeah. doesn't have to, to be what they were traumatized by in the seventh yeah, grade. It's not just an acrostic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, you know, right. Please, please spell your name down the side of this right. page. Yep, yep, no, they're mind blown. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, where can we find your work and what's, uh, what's coming up next for you? Jeez, where can you find my work? So you can purchase Mausoleum of Flowers. That joint is still very fresh. Um, and I want, uh, you know, folks to build a relationship with it. So check that out and, you know, um, reach out, you know, be in com conversation with me about it. I'm happy to do so. I think that's how the work should live. Um, let's see. Uh, I'm going to be at the Dodge Poetry Festival. I'm one of the featured poets there in October. Um, and then beyond that, I was uh, awarded a, a Baldwin for the Arts Fellowship. So I'll get to, to kind of do some. Yeah, I'll get to to jump into some essays like creative creative nonfiction. I'm telling you, there's an essay in that story about you. Yeah, yeah. There is an essay there that everybody needs. Yeah. What a beautiful piece of writing that would be. Appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, so that's that's it. You know, it's been a it's been a very like slow. It's again, it's it's so interesting. Divine, divine, divine took like many years. Muslim of Flowers took like a year. And so now I'm in this period where you know, so I think about writing outside of font and text. And so like all everything that I do, I think goes into the process, you know. And so, you know, building something with my hands is a part of me working, you know. What, what know. is after the what is after the awning? Oh yeah, it's a good question. I don't know yet, because because <laughs> we're in the school year now. So my mind is like <laughs> occupied. <laughs> you need a fire yeah. pit before yeah. it gets too cold. Right. No, that's a good that's a good point. Um, that might be that might be in the in the works. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. Yeah, yeah. I truly look forward to sending people your direction and having them listen to your words and read your words. Uh, thank you for all you do and have a great rest of the evening. Much love. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye bye. All right.
Thank you for listening to the Poetry Questions TPQ20. Please like, rate, review, and subscribe. See you next week.